You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. We've been in the book of Psalms now for several weeks, continuing to talk about the the songs that we should sing to each other, the songs that we should sing to ourselves uh, as a means of encouragement and hope um, in the midst of uh, the uncertainties that we experience as we're on this journey for um, waiting for Christ to return one day. Let's see if we can get that to show up a little bit better. Um, and, and so, you know, we kind of came out of Ephesians talking about the need to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so now we're we're seeking to do that. We're seeking to know the Psalms so that we can speak those to one another, to encourage one another. We talked last week from Psalm 26 about how uh, we can't just claim the truths of Psalms without having a right relationship with God, that we have to be in relationship with God through salvation and then walking with God to really rightfully claim the hope and the encouragement that we see in the book of Psalms. And so we, we challenged you with that last week. We're going to go to Psalm chapter 46 today. I think it's a timely passage in the midst of uh, even things that have developed this week. Um, And so I hope that it'll be an encouragement to you as we see what God's word has to say uh, from Psalm chapter 46. So let's begin reading uh, in verse one. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Our summary sentence for today is we need to pursue a deepening knowledge of God that allows us to be still in the midst of chaos and see him as our dependable refuge in the midst of natural and national uncertainty. We need to pursue a deepening knowledge of God that allows us to be still in the midst of chaos and see him as our dependable refuge in the midst of natural and national uncertainty. For our kids, reading the Bible helps us to understand God so we can trust him better when we are in need. As you're taking the time to maybe jot some notes down there, I was listening to a sermon uh, on Psalm 46 this week, and it was uh, preached by a guy at the very end of 2019. And it was, it was weird listening to him talk about the upcoming 2020, obviously not knowing what 2020 would look like and beyond, but listening to him talk about God being our refuge and strength. And, and, he, and he, he kept making reference to, I don't know what 2020 is going to hold, but, but we're going to need God in the midst of it. And I'm thinking like how right you are, how, how, how true uh, you are in what you speak. And, and for him, it was probably, hey, we're just rolling into another year and, and not realizing how different that year would be. We've talked some about people deconstructing in their faith and walking away from the faith recently. Um, I had a coworker reach out to me uh, this weekend to share that her brother has recently made the decision that he no longer believes, no longer identifies as a Christian, has, has walked away from the faith and wrote a letter to his parents basically saying that I've stepped away from this and I now feel free to be who I'm supposed to be and to see the world as it really is. Um, I know people struggle with their faith. I can't think of a worse time to, to walk away from the faith uh, in the midst of such uncertainty. I don't see where the liberation is. I don't see how someone confidently and, and enthusiastically even comes to a conclusion that I don't believe in God and I don't believe he is who he says he is or that he does the things that he promises to do. And I want to face the world without him now and I'm excited about it. Like, I, I just, that just doesn't register with me, right? Like, like how, can, how can that be 
where you want to be. How can that be assuring? That's like uh, having tornado warnings and calling your insurance company and saying, hey, I think I want to get rid of my roof part of my insurance, right? Like, hey, this seems like a great time to save a buck or two, and I'm going to cancel my insurance. Or if you've been like me, I've had uh, one of those um, uh, memberships at the car wash, right? It's like canceling your car wash membership right before, right before pollen season, right? Like it just doesn't make sense. Like, hey, that's fine if you want to cancel, but why not wait until after pollen season? Like that, that's fine that you're struggling with your faith maybe, but like this is the time where you would think you would be running to God, not running away from him. Right? Like that, is, that just doesn't register for me. How does that make sense to say in the midst of a day and age where it is obvious that we need a refuge and a strength and a fortress to cling to, that one would feel liberated? Maybe you reach the point where you feel like, I don't believe in God, but I can't imagine reaching that point enthusiastically, right? Like, like I would think that you would reach it in devastation. Like, hey, I, I don't believe that there's a God and there is no hope now, right? But to think that like now my life can begin, like that just doesn't make sense. The psalmist here tells us we need, we need to see God as our refuge, our strength, our help in a time of trouble. Now, we talked some of this uh, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 121. Remember, where, where does my help come from, right? Where does my help come from? Uh, we talked about the ongoing help of God, the safety from threats that he gives to us, the round-the-clock care. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep so that we can. He rules and reigns over every threat in our life. We talked from Psalm 136 about the enduring love of God, uh, the history of God's workings with Israel, and how, how that helps us to know how God interacts with us today. Now, Psalm 46 is going to give us some of the same truths But there is a shift now to more of a corporate and global focus in what we're going to see. So we're still saying a lot of the same things that we've been seeing from Psalms, but now there's more of a corporate focus versus that individual focus. So pronouns are like all the rage right now, right? Like which pronouns you identify with. Uh, Let's talk about pronouns in the proper context. In Psalm 121, there's a lot of singular pronouns where I, me, myself am looking to God for my help. Psalm 46, we're seeing more of a corporate identity. We together need to see him as our refuge and our strength and our help in time of trouble. Because what we're going to see here in the context of Psalm 46, while we will all leave today and throughout this week, we'll experience unique individual challenges, struggles, trials uh, in our own context There's also things that we're seeing that are even mounting around us that that we're going to experience together, potentially, that won't be unique to us individually. And that's where Psalm 46 speaks to the corporate identity of how God helps us as his people. Uh, There's the popular verse, obviously, here, uh, one that's very familiar to us, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. What I want us to see today is the things that we are supposed to know that allows us to remain still in the midst of this chaos. What do we need to know? It's not just about being still. And it's not just about arbitrarily knowing something. I believe the psalmist would say to be still and to know specifically things that will comfort and encourage you in the midst of that stillness. The idea is here being that he is our refuge and our strength, our help in trouble, our reason not to fear, our fortress of protection. He's our commander-in-chief. I can't help but think uh, how I might would read this chapter today if I was in Ukraine now as a Christian, as a believer, right? Like you would probably read it with a little bit more urgency. It would probably have a little bit more direct application. Um, What's important to note is that the truths here are applicable to us, and they are applicable to those who are on the other side of the world right now, maybe facing more uncertainty than we do, it had the same implications today. These truths have the same implications today as they did back in the Old Testament. A lot of commentators believe that this passage is written maybe in response to uh, the attempted siege by the Assyrian army led by Sennacherib upon Hezekiah and the uh, city of Jerusalem. Uh, You may know some of this, but if not, let me encourage you to write down uh, a couple of chapters that you could maybe read throughout this week. Uh, to kind of dive in deeper to this story. Uh, 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. 2 Kings 18 and 19. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 
in Isaiah 36 and 37. So 2 Kings 18 and 19, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. What you'll find there is that Assyria, according to Isaiah 8, chapters, or chapter 8, verses 5 and 8, Assyria was identified as the nation that God was going to use to bring about judgment on rebellion, particularly with the northern kingdom of Israel. And, and they're pictured as an overflowing river. They're pictured as raging waters that are going to spill out beyond their boundaries to bring judgment upon God's people. What's interesting is that even amongst the, the pictures of the raging river and the river that will go beyond its normal boundaries, it's still a river guided by God. It's still a river that's very much in control by God. Um, but that's kind of the context, perhaps, and we'll see some reasons maybe to see that as the context for the writing of Psalm chapter 46. The idea that God's people were, were being threatened by an outside army that was looking to come in and just take over because they wanted to expand their empire. And God's people standing strong and resolving to trust in him and seeing God's deliverance and provision in the midst of that threat. The big idea is that God remains in control of all types of, upheaval, up, of upheavals we can experience in this world. And if we'll believe it, we can find peace in it. God remains in control of all the types of upheavals we can experience in this world. And if we will believe that, we can find peace in the midst of it. The presence of God with his people and the difference it makes when we trust in him in those upheavals um, will make all the difference in the world. He is more present to us than the troubles that we face. He is more present in our life than the seeming troubles that are out there facing us. All right, and so the big idea is to see that God remains in control of all these type of troubles that may come our way. So we pursue this deepening knowledge of God. It allows us to be still in the midst of chaos and see him as our dependable refuge in the midst of natural and national uncertainty. So let's jump right in. I want to give you um, two specific things that we need to do and then how we bring those two things together to really achieve this... Um, this sense of peace in a sense of stillness when it comes to chaotic order around us. What do we need to do? How do we, how do we do this? How do we reach a point where we can be still in the midst of crazy around us, right? This picture of being still when there's uncertainty. I remember uh, back in college, we took a retreat with the, the group that I worked with uh, to Virginia Beach. And I remember we were staying in a hotel on the, on the beach. I mean, we were right there on the beach, and there was a storm the night we were staying there. And it was, it was raining, and it was thundering, and it was lightning. And I remember sitting on the balcony and just watching the powerful display of God um, out there across, the, across the, uh, the horizon, right? So being able to see the ocean and the sky touching, being able to see the lightning popping all around, and probably wasn't the safest place to be. Um, out there watching on the top of the, the hotel. But it, it was a sense of peace and stillness to just sit there and enjoy the, the show that God was putting on and to think about the power that he possesses and yet feeling no unnecessary uncertainty or fear in my life, but to just be able to sit there and to, to worship him as he was on display there for me with his power. And I think that's the picture that the psalmist gives us. I mean, you read this and you've got the world's falling down all around and there's nation after nation rising up to fight. And, and the response the psalmist gives to us is, just be still and know that he's God. Be still and know that he's God. And so we're gonna see what that looks like for us. How do we get to that point? Number one, it starts with developing a robust theology of God's attributes. Developing a robust theology of God's attributes. If we're going to be still and know that he is God, then we have to know him. Um, and it begins with knowing things about him, knowing who he is, knowing what he does and what he's capable of doing. If he's going to identify himself, as verse 1 says, as our refuge and strength and our present help in trouble, then I need to know that he's capable of being that. I need to know that he's capable of doing that. That's not just a false invitation. Um, that I'm not going to be let down if I choose him as my refuge and strength. Again, I have no idea what an individual is thinking when they step away from God in a time of uncertainty like this, saying, I now feel free to be me and to live how I want to live and to see the world how I want to see it. 
I don't know where their refuge and strength becomes now because I can't imagine anything feeling certain as an alternative right now, right? The government's not, not certain. Uh, our culture's not certain. Nothing is certain today, right, that I would want to turn my attention to. But if I'm going to keep putting my faith and trust in God as my refuge and strength and help and trouble, I need to know that he's capable of that. I need to know that he's capable of being that. Number one, he is a strong God who possesses the power to function as a refuge. He is a strong God who possesses the power to function as a refuge. He is a place to run for safety. He is a place to run for safety. He identifies himself as one who is the refuge and strength, the help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He's a strong God who possesses the power to function as a refuge. The psalmist says, though the mountains slide and the seas roar, we need not fear. Why? Well, because his keeping power has been proven through greater turmoils. Right Through greater turmoils, God has shown his keeping power, his ability to preserve his people. Now, whatever you have faced in life is less than what's being described here. Right, It's less. Right? This isn't just your average earthquake, your average mudslide. This isn't your average flood that's being described here. I mean, the psalmist is trying to give us an a end-of-the-world type picture. Right? So some of these apocalyptic type movies that you might watch that, that kind of forecast what the end of the world could look like. How could our world cease to exist? It's that type of picture. And the psalmist is telling us to, to trust God in the midst of that, meaning we can absolutely trust him in the midst of everything lesser than that. Right? Um, well, well, how do we know that he's capable of that? Well, the one time that really comes to my mind where the mountains would have been sliding and the waters would have been raging would have been in the flood, right? So you go back to Genesis and you read the flood account and you see God's provision of his people and how he sustains them, not just through an initial storm, right? But continues to sustain them through the aftermath of that storm. Gives them the equipping needed to put life back together post-flood. Right? He's shown his ability to do this. He's shown his ability to be a refuge and strength and help and trouble. He's shown himself to be the type of God that can put his people in a boat and preserve them, preserve them through the greatest challenges naturally this world has ever seen. Right? He preserved his people in the midst of that. He's a strong God who possesses the power to function as a refuge. But number two, he is a sovereign God who controls the world as a fortress. He's a sovereign God who controls the world as a fortress. He's a place of stability and security. In verse 7, when it talks about him being the Lord of hosts, the picture there is that he is the commander of all the armies. He's the commander of all the armies. It's interesting to me that the first time God is identified as the Lord of hosts, it comes from 1 Samuel when Hannah is crying out to him for a child. And she's appealing to the Lord of hosts, to the commander of all armies, uh, the, the, the one who is in control, the one who is sovereign, the one who rules and reigns over this world. He is the one that we turn to for our refuge and our strength. Though nations rage, we need not fear, for his delivering power has been proven through greater attacks, right? Think about the ways that God has shown himself faithful when it comes to nation rising against nation. I mean, he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea, which he parts. He defeats the entire army by allowing that, 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 that sea to come crashing down on the Israelites' enemies before them. It's interesting to note probably too that that takes place in the morning, it tells us that God will help her when morning dawns. And it's in the morning, Exodus 14, 27, that describes this, where God allows the sea to come crashing down on the, on the um, Egyptians, wiping out Pharaoh and his army. I mean, Jericho's another great example of that, right? It's the children of Israel not really having to do anything to see a nation fall before them. 
They march, around the, they march around the city. They march around the walls. The walls come crashing down, and God gives them, hand delivers them, this great city of Jericho. Nations are going to rage. They're going to rage this week. They're going to continue to rage until Christ comes back, right? And we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear the deliverance of God's people uh, because of his power and because his power has been shown through greater attacks. We need a theology that helps us to see who God is and what he's capable of, right? That's how we find peace in the midst of pursuing stillness when everything's chaotic around us. I need to be able to trust that my God's capable. Not just because I've been told by a parent or a teacher or or a pastor, but to see it in God's word, to see it uh, fully in God's word that God is capable of these things. God is capable of providing for his people. He's a sovereign God. He controls the world as a fortress. Number two, though, we need to pursue a historical awareness of God's provision. And we've already started mentioning this. It's not just about who God is in theory. It's how God has chosen to act throughout history towards his people. Right? He is the Lord of hosts and he is with us. But the psalmist also reminds us that he's the God of Jacob, which begins to initially even stir up real stories of how he is this type of God, right? And so if you know anything about Jacob, you don't read God of Jacob without thinking about the stories of Jacob, which leads you to then think about Abraham and Isaac before him and then the, the, the sons that come after him and how time and time again, God's providing. Time and time again, God is showing himself to be a place of refuge and strength and help. Even when Jacob is fearful of Esau and his people group that have risen and and come to power, coming against him for revenge potentially, right? Jacob's having to cling to God for refuge and strength and help. In the midst of famine, when there is no food and the world seems to be falling around, he's relying upon God for provision and God moves his family to Egypt to take care of them, right? He's the God of Jacob. This historical awareness helps us to see that, yes, God is capable But then it also shows that he's able, right? Because he's demonstrated it to his people throughout history. Now, Jacob's not exactly a guy who's a picture of stillness, right? You know, the story of Jacob, I mean, he's constantly kind of taking, trying to take control of his circumstances, trying to work out those circumstances in his own ways, right? Like he's, he's, he's even trying to seize the birthright with dishonest means, right? So he's not a great example to us of stillness, so we're not, we're not highlighting Jacob here. We're not, we're not celebrating Jacob. Uh, Israelites don't say the God of Jacob with the emphasis being on Jacob, right? The emphasis is on the God of Jacob because Jacob was not very still. And Jacob didn't always demonstrate faith like we would want to see. But God remained faithful to him. God remained faithful to him. I put in my notes, um, what God has been on so many occasions in years gone by, he is that for his people here and now today. What God has been on so many occasions in years gone by, he is that for his people here and now today. There's always debate about who's the, the greatest when it comes to sports, right? Like you can talk about... Um, is Joe Montana the greatest quarterback or is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback? Is Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player of all time? Was it Kobe Bryant? Was it LeBron James? The reason that debate happens is because you can't compare, you can't compare in real time one to the other, right? Because typically one of them's old now, right? Like I saw, I saw a picture of LeBron James and Michael Jordan at the recent NBA All-Star game. Michael Jordan's not the greatest basketball player today, Right? Like, like his, his days have passed. Like his time of dominance is gone, right? Let's not think that, that God has already passed his prime in how he functioned towards his people, right? Like I'll have to tell my kids about how great Michael Jordan was. We'll watch videos of him maybe. I can tell about the time that I went to the Omni and saw him beat the Hawks at the buzzer and, and me and my dad are celebrating I can tell them about his greatness. I can't really let them experience his greatness today because I don't want to see Michael Jordan at like 65 now on the basketball court and trying to argue that this is the greatest basketball player, right? Because he's not going to look that way today. I think sometimes we think about God that way. Like we, we think that we're watching old videos of the Old Testament and this is how God used to be and this was God in his heyday and this is how God used to act and And now God's kind of outdated and old and he may not be the best refuge and strength today. And that's just not the case, right? Like he's still in his prime. 
Like he is still the sovereign king of the universe. He's still delivering his people in the exact same ways he was in the old times too, right? What God did for his people in the past, he is still doing today. And we need to see that. We need to know that if we're gonna find uh, peace in the stillness. Number one, he is an abiding God who remains with his people. He's an abiding God who remains with his people. He does not move from his people and will not allow his people to be moved. He won't allow his people to be moved. Verse five, God is in the midst of her, talking about the city of God, the people of God. She shall not be moved. So we see the mountains in verse two can be moved. The waters are roaring and foaming. They're certainly moving, but God's people won't be moved. He won't allow them to be moved because he will bring help in the morning. When the morning dawns, his help comes. He does not forsake his people ever. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Notice the importance there of knowing the name that we are putting our trust in. Right? It's not just knowing God by the name of Yahweh. It's, it's knowing who God is, like knowing his attributes, knowing his character traits, knowing the things that he's done throughout time. It's knowing him. Blessed are those, right? It's those who know your name who put their trust in you, and you don't forsake them. You're their stronghold. You're their stronghold in times of trouble. For us to continually look to God as our stronghold in times of trouble, we've got to know him. And we got to know how he's been working for his people for all time. Life's circumstances may change, but God's covenants do not. Circumstances change. I mean, we're reading in Psalm 46 about how what we know about the earth can change. Things that seem stable, things, things that seem steady, they can become very unstable and unsteady very quickly. Things that seem steady nationally, right? Um, uh, agreements, treaties. That, that seemingly are, are not going to be broken, can be broken very quickly. Circumstances can change, but God's covenants don't. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And this covenant of peace with us, the fact that we have been saved from his wrath, the fact that Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to satisfy God's wrath for us, the peace that we now enjoy with him, that can never change. Right? It's how I can be still when there's no peace around me. Right? So we can continue to hear warnings about global warming and, and what the after effects of that's going to be. We can continue to hear wars and rumors of wars coming. And we can stay still. We can sit on the balcony of that, of that uh, hotel and see things raging around us. And we can filter it all through the fact that my God's at work here, right? My God's in control. My God is working and moving in the midst of this chaos. I can be still because I'm at peace with him. And again, it goes back to, you can't read Psalm 46 and claim the hope of Psalm 46 unless your relationship with God's right. You can't. Right? This doesn't apply. This hope doesn't apply to one who steps out from their relationship with God and says, now I can be free to live how I want to live. No, it's those who put their trust in him. Right? That's the one that he serves as a stronghold towards. Number two, he is a providing God who satisfies his people. He is a providing God who satisfies his people. So back in Psalm 46, He's our refuge, our strength, our help in trouble. We don't have to fear. Even if the earth gives way, the mountains are moved, the waters are raging and foaming. Verse 4 says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is where I think you can see correlation with that story in Hezekiah. So he starts off talking about this, this natural 
concern, the, the mountains and the seas, I think that's a, that's a picture of what the real concern is, the nations rising against nation. And if you read that account of Hezekiah in the Old Testament, what you find is that Sennacherib and his people come uh, before the, the, the city of Jerusalem and they're, they're uttering threats and they're actually uttering doubts towards the people's faith. Like they're calling into question God's ability to provide for them. And they're using, for argument's sake, the history of what has just previously happened with all their other endeavors. I mean, they cry out and they say, look, this city had this God, this city had this God, this city had this God, and none of those gods helped them. Why would you think that your God's going to help you? Right? They're, they're, they're looking for a surrender here. Right? They're looking to cripple the people's faith and get an unconditional surrender that says, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, like our God's not capable of doing that if, if these other gods weren't capable of it. Right? And the idea is that they're, they're coming to surround the city in hopes of like sealing them in and getting a surrender. Like, hey, we're not going anywhere. We're going to defeat you and we will wait you out kind of a thing. And you get in verse four, this picture of a river that's making the, the, the city glad. What's happening here is that uh, you, you would try to box the people in and hope to take away their natural resources. Now, God had provided for Jerusalem in the account of Hezekiah because Hezekiah had built a waterway from a natural spring that fled into the city underneath the ground. So they've got water, like they're protected, right? They've got provision. So even if if things continue to deteriorate around them, like they've got what they need, right? This was my mindset when, when 2020 started and things were falling apart. Like I went to Kroger and got what we needed. Right? I was going through my, my garage this week cleaning out and I found all the plastic bags that I saved from all of my grocery trips in 2020 because I had the mindset, what if we can't get plastic bags anymore? Like, what will I throw away dirty diapers in? And so I just kept like all these plastic bags and I'm pulling them out from everywhere in my garage, right? Like, like I was ready to be held up in my house if things continued to deteriorate. Hezekiah had created a water system, God leading him and providing him and God saying like, look, they can stay out there all they want. Like, we've got water. I'm providing water for you, right? They, they are raging like water outside, but there's a peaceful water that's flowing on the inside that's providing for his people. When the water seems out of control, he provides the peaceful drink that we need. He provides the peaceful drink that we need. God's provision, he is the provider, and he really is the water. Right? So I'm highlighting for you that God made physical water available. But Psalm 36 would help us to see that it's not even the physical water that we trust in. Right? Psalm 36, verse 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river. And he doesn't name a river. He says the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Right? He is the water that we need. Jesus offers that water to the woman at the well, right? Like, hey, you can keep drinking from this well, but it'll dry up and you'll be thirsty again. He said, but I offer, I offer life everlasting. I offer water that quenches to the core. He gives us that steady stream that we need. And it flows regularly. He's the God who provides for us. All right, number three. So we said, number one, develop a robust theology. Know who God is. Know what he's capable of. Know how he's revealed himself as a, as a type of God. And then see how he's been acting as that God, right? Like it's not, it's not unrealized potential. It, it's absolutely observable activity that he has given towards his people. So number three, we take what we know about God and we, talk about, we take what we know that God has done. We apply both of those things to our thoughts when we're facing natural and national upheaval. We take both of those things, who God is, what he's capable of, and then we take the historical awareness of how he has shown that capability. We apply both to our thoughts to help us as we process the natural and the national upheavals around us. Number one, we do not or we need not fear when our natural world is decaying around us. We need not fear when our natural world is decaying around us. I told you that the troubled earth here, described in verses 1 through 3, really parallels our troubled lives. 
and the, and the nations that maybe are at work around us. If we need not fear the unimaginable, the worst case scenarios, then we don't need to fear the lesser. Right? So these things that are being described are like the, the worst possible cases. If we don't have to fear the worst possible cases, we don't have to fear the lesser cases either. While the most trustworthy things we know may falter, he does not. We must not trust in unsteady seas and lands. Isaiah 30, 1 through 2 would remind us, because Israel was guilty of this, Isaiah reminds them how unwise it is for them to turn their trust to Egypt. Right? They're, wanting to, they're wanting to make alliances with Egypt to protect them against other nations. And Isaiah calls them out for it. God's word through Isaiah is saying, like, hey, that's, that's not the route to go. Right? We, don't, we don't trust in the unsteady. We don't trust in that which can betray us. Right? So we don't trust in the things of this world that are unsteady, even though they may seem stable at the time. We trust in the one who always is stable, who is always steady. Our fear does not swell because the very thing we most need to remain steady does. Our fear does not swell because the very thing we need to be steady remains steady. Right? It talks about the waters roaring and foaming and um, the, the, the mountains and the earth uh, being moved. The mountains trembling at its swelling. Our fear doesn't have to swell because the thing that we need to be stable remains stable. He remains in control of the creative order and he uses it for his own purposes. Look what Psalm chapter 24 says. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. Right? He's the creator of all things. Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33. Verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He's the one that controls those things. While we have no guarantees that the earth will not change, that mountains won't slide, and that earthquakes and tidal waves won't come, our assurance that those things don't happen unless they are being used within his plan. Let me say that again. While we have no guarantees that the earth will not change, that mountains won't slide, and that earthquakes and tidal waves won't come, our assurance is that, the, is that those things don't happen unless they are being used within his plan. And actually, they're promised to happen, right? Like, like they're promised to happen. These things will happen, and they are signs of, of Jesus returning one day because it increases our longing and desire and our groanings for Jesus to come back and make it right. We need not fear when, natural, when the natural world is decaying around us. Number two, we need not fear when the national world is raging against us. We need not fear when the national world is raging against us. We talked about the river in verses 4 and 5, verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The troubled city parallels what we're seeing today, and that's the suffering church. So Jerusalem is potentially under attack here. Perhaps an allusion to the Assyrian army standing outside, ready to sack it. Today we know that the church is God's people, and it, the church is God's city while we wait for the city to come. And, and it's the church that endures suffering and persecution. And he provides in such a way that um, we can take comfort and hope in him as our refuge and our strength. His provision does not falter, though the armies and the threats may mount. He remains in control of the world powers and uses them for his own purposes. Let me read to you again from Psalm 33. God's in control of all the armies of the earth. He's the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. It's not blessed is the nation who has the strongest army. Right? It's blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. 
He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all of them all observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And we know we can count on that because his covenant doesn't change. His love is always towards us. He remains in control of the world powers. And he's working to see the nations saved for his glory. Right? So go back to Psalm 146. Or Psalm 46. Sorry, Psalm 46. The psalmist uh, is inviting the people to come and behold the works of the Lord. See how he's brought desolations to the earth. See what he's accomplished. See what he's done. Look what it says in verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Think about the victories that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. We've, we've already talked about recently, uh, I think from Psalm 136, when Sion and Og fell, right? Before the children of Israel really come into the promised land, those two kingdoms fall. And it's Rahab who says, we've heard of your God. And I'm putting my faith and my trust in your God because of what I've seen him do, right? The nations were falling so that other people and other nations would see the glory of God and come to him. You think about even um, the prayer that Hezekiah offers on behalf of the people when he knows that Sennacherib is outside ready to come in. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 16. Look what it says. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, so now, Yahweh, save us, please, from his hand. Why? That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Yahweh, are God alone. Even Hezekiah has the same mentality of Psalm 46. God, save us for bigger reasons than just us having our life continue. Save us so that the nations that are looking on will see your glory and will turn to you. We have no guarantees that nations won't rise against nations and that wars will cease any time before Christ returns, right? We're promised the opposite, really, right? Our assurance is that those things don't happen unless they are being used within his plan. Those things don't happen unless they're being used as part of his plan. God's coming one day, and he's going to bring the nations into subjection to him. There'll be worldwide peace one day. No more James chapter 4. Where do, where do, where do strifes and wars and quarrels come from? Well, they come from, from your frustrations with each other. I mean, God's coming to put our hearts right with each other as much as he's putting them right with him. Right? And there's going to be a time of peace that will endure forever. No more wars, no more fighting. We'll see Psalm 46 realized. Now the children of Israel see his power and see this realized when, when they come out after Sennacherib is defeated. So here's, here's kind of the ending of that story. God sends his angel and 185,000 of Sennacherib's army is destroyed in the night. And they go home. They flee back home. They run away. They want no part of it. They don't want to be around anymore. 2 Kings 19, 35 through 37. They're, 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 they're completely defeated. 2 Kings 19, 35. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Imagine you've been like held up in this city and, and your king is saying, we can trust in our God to provide. We can trust in our God to provide. And you're thinking like, I know we've got water. I know we've got food. 
but I, I, I just don't know for sure. Then you wake up the next morning, you walk outside, there's 185,000 people dead. And you're thinking, I never picked up my sword. Like we never fought. And there's 185,000 people dead out here. That's what the psalmist says. He says, come and look at the desolations of God. Look how he provides for his people. Look how he brings peace, right? He fights our battles. He wins the victories needed. And that's coming in a greater, a greater scale one day. It's not going to be 185,000 that are defeated. It's going to be all the evil removed from the earth forever. And there will be a time of peace where there is no more war. We need not fear when the national world rises against us. He remains in control. And lastly, number three, we need to find times to be still to remember all of this. Because being still isn't enough. What comes to mind in the silence is super important. Being still isn't enough because bad things can happen when you're still and your mind wanders and it's not wandering to true things. You can, you can, you can dip into some deep darkness that way. Being still isn't enough. It's what comes to mind in the silence that's super important. The psalmist tells us to be still and know that he's God. And if we don't pursue a theology and a historical awareness of God, we will most likely experience spiritual amnesia in times of crisis. It's the truth of who God is that transforms the trouble that we experience because we get a more accurate picture of how to process what we experience. Lauren and I watch a TV show where there's a couple on there where when they're experiencing upheaval in their family, they, they play the worst case scenario game where if we can just think of the worst cases that could happen, it'll make us feel better about what's happening right now. That's a coping mechanism that's not sustainable, right? I guess it's not sustainable because eventually worse things continue to happen, right? So that, that can't be the, well, the worst things aren't happening, Right? We need to know who God is, and we need to know that the God who stood in the furnace in the Old Testament still stands with his people today, right? It's not like watching an old video from from the 80s or 90s of Michael Jordan soaring through the air, right? Because our God's still capable of doing those same things today. He still stands in the furnace with his people today. He's still standing with the Christians in Ukraine today. And there may be an army that's gathering around them, and it may lead to eventually... Uh, the God that they worship being criticized, right? But it's the same God that provided for the Israelites, the Jewish people, the, the, the people of Jerusalem. In that day, he's the same God today that provides for those Christians overseas. Psalm 46 says, we will not fear, though, verse three, and then you can fill in the blank with anything else. The psalmist says the waters roar and foam, and he goes into the nations, but you can really put anything there. We will not fear, though this happens, because our God remains in control. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. God even tells Hezekiah, an arrow is not going to even fly into the city I'm going to protect you. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The implication is this. The goals of God that we need to keep in mind when we're being still and meditating upon him as an individual, on an individual personal level, God is always working for your good. So you find times to be still. You let your mind go to the fact that as an individual, as a person of God, he is always working for your good. And then you also remember that on a corporate global level, God is always working for his glory. Everything that we see around us, the things that are happening in our individual life, man, he's going to use those for good. The things that are happening around the world, he's using those things for his glory. He will be exalted amongst the nations. We know this in Revelation. People from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping him. That's where history is headed. It will be accomplished. And if we'll believe these things, if we'll be still and meditate on these things, it's really hard to worry and complain about things. Right? Like if I really believe that God's goals are my good and his glory, I can't really worry or fear then. I can't really complain then. If I believe these things, it shapes my perspective on things. Application for us. Are you actively pursuing the time needed in the word that gives you the content to encourage your soul towards faithful trust in the one who remains constant in the midst of the world's upheaval? 
Are you actively pursuing the time needed in the word that gives you the content to encourage your soul towards faithful trust in the one who remains constant in the midst of the world's upheaval? Because if you're not spending time in God's word, and not, not, I'm not talking about just reading and checking a list and saying, I read the Bible today, but going to the word of God to develop a deeper theology of who God is, to see the historical peace, being aware of how God has worked for his people. If you go to God's word with those two things in mind, And you're going to be given the content needed that keeps your soul encouraged so that when you're still, the things that come to your mind are God's faithfulness and God's provision, right? Because sometimes people get still and they say, you know what, I'm I'm going to leave God, I think. People get still and they start thinking and start meditating and start exploring and it's not on the right things and somehow it leads to them stepping away from God. Psalmist says, you be still and you know that he is God. You go to God's word so that when you're in times of stillness. Now, I love being still in my car. Like, I'm, the, I'm the, the one who doesn't listen to music, doesn't listen to talk radio, partly because my antenna's broke on my truck and I can't, um, which is super helpful. Because I just like to be still in the car. Because on my commute back, from, back and forth from work, I need to process the day through the lens and the filter of my God is in control. My God is always in control. He's always working for my good, and he's always working for his glory. It allows me to be still in the car and know that he's God. Let me encourage you to find times of stillness that can be productive because you've been in the word, and you're shaping how that stillness is spent. You're being reminded of who God is and what he's done for his people. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. I'm going to close with this, and we're done. Luke chapter 21. Verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Lord, we come to you and we praise you and thank you for being our refuge and our strength, our very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we continue to be in a state um, where we need you to be that more than ever. Lord, as we see the nations raging against nations, even this week, believers, the church coming under threat, Lord, we're asking for your continued provision, your added protection. Lord, we're asking you to be what you've always been for your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to fear. Lord, help us to turn to you regularly in the stillness of our life to find hope in you. Lord, help the the things that we see from your word about who you are and the ways that we've seen you work that would bring encouragement and hope to our souls when we need it most. Lord, as we see things unfolding around us, both naturally and nationally, Lord, help us to remember that you, you are the God who cares. You are the God who is our stronghold. If we will turn and trust in you, your steadfast love endures forever. As our circumstances change, help us to remember that your covenants do not. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.